Vibe Machine Hi and welcome to Undercovers Podcast. I'm Josh Kiff and this is a series where I get to delve into the creative minds of geniuses across the music art world and find out how they've interpreted music to create the visual identity for albums. That sounds really fancy when I really get to talk to some amazing people about the work they've done on record art. Now, the next few episodes are with the brilliant Alex Howdy. We'd been trying to get this show done for quite a while, but Alex had just moved back to Ohio from New York, and we'd never seemed to be able to get it together. The first thing that surprised Alex was that the artist he is most commonly asked about, Jay Cole, is someone I know very little about. You see, in Australia, Jay isn't the force he is in the US and in other countries. So we get to hear all about him, but we also got to spend time talking about some of the other iconic artwork that he's done, including the Wu-Tang Clan members on Wu Massacre, LL Cool J, Rihanna, Outkast Big Boy, Bon Jovi, Kanye and Jay-Z, and of course, Naz. Please make sure you subscribe to Undercovers to get the episodes as they drop, and please drop the series a review on the system you are listening to the podcast on. It would be truly appreciated. And as always, we begin at the beginning of the artist's journey to becoming an album designer. Vibe. Machine. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in listening to these things, you can kind of hear it's a pretty common trend. I, I It's like the Malcolm Gladwell, like, 10,000 hours thing. I I grew up, like, my dad was really into music, playing music all the time. And then my mom worked at a graphic design agency. And, uh, I, she, they got divorced when I was very young. So when I was with my dad, pretty much always, I mean, you know, that I remember, like my biggest memories were him playing music. And, uh, with my mom, it was her at work. <laughs> so she would take me to work and, uh, it was pretty wild. It was like a really cool agency in Columbus, Ohio, and they had every single kind of marker and paper and, you know, pencils and all that stuff. And she would just, have me come and I would hang out underneath, like lay under the desk and draw all day. Like that's like all I would do. It's pretty funny. Like she has memories of like her friends, like just would be like, they, they would be working and then they'd look under the desk and I'd be down there doodling <laughs> and stuff. And, uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, and she was just a workaholic and I always say like, I, I kind of like got, I fully got that from my mom. Like, I, I, she just was there all the time, late nights and she would just, bring me along and I just kind of adopted all that and I kind of do the same thing now. I love working late into the night. Um, still work under the table. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, no, there's now on top of the table. I would, I don't know if you, when you see a picture of me, you'll see, I would not do well underneath the table. I'm pretty big guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I used to love comic books when I was growing up and I used to copy them. That was like kind of where I learned my drawing technique. And I think that, pretty clearly comes through in my work now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always been a huge influence, like music, uh, comic books, media, all that stuff. I mean, I guess everyone kind of, but the comic book thing, I think really taught me art and appreciating art. And I used to buy books just for the artists and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I took classes when I was younger and, uh, pretty minimally, but mainly just self-trained and, you know, I had like certain babysitters and stuff when I was a kid because my mom was single mom, essentially. Mm. Um, some of them were good at art. I remember them teaching me how to draw a little bit and I would just learn 
pieces and parts from all this different stuff. And I had some pretty great art teachers uh, when I was younger. And then in high school, I had like an amazing art teacher who I, I really got along with. And she was really nurturing, I think, to me, just kind of doing my thing and getting better and, and really pushed me throughout high school. And I just was kind of always like a big half of me. I, I, I feel like there's like a weird aspect of me that always feels like a little bit of an outsider in the art world. Like I used to <laughs> in high school, I was, I, cause I'm like a little broy, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. Like I was like really into football and lifting and like kind of like a jock in high school, but I also love, I was also like emo and listened to like love finding bands that no one had ever heard of. And my jockey friends would make fun of me for that. And then my art class friends that like, I feel like I never quite like fit in with the kids that were in art class. Like they always like liked me and like we were pretty cool, but I never like hung out with the kids that really did graffiti and actually knew cool indie bands and like did that kind of stuff. I just was kind of always this teetering entity and that <laughs> I think kind of carried through I, until now, I guess. I, I finally just learned to just embrace it. Like I think I was kind of fighting it and uh, I had a little issue with the, you know, my identity, uh, going into like college. You know, I, I wanted to do art. I knew that. But, uh, when I was trying to pick a school, I would never have gone to an art school. Like I wanted to be in a fraternity too. And I wanted a party and I wanted to have a traditional stupid, uh, meathead college experience. So, uh, which is probably pretty rare for the people that are interviewed on these, I would imagine. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. It just is who I, it's who I am. So, uh, That's cool. I, 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 I went to look at schools. I looked at Kansas and I looked at, uh, Drexel and Drexel had a really good art program, but it was not the, it was not like a real island and like kind of like its own place. And then I, uh, randomly went up to visit Syracuse, um, because my, my, my guidance counselor told me that I probably wouldn't get in, but I should at least apply. So I did half the, uh, the application and then I got to the essay part and I was like, I'm not doing that. So I just, didn't want to deal with it. So I only did the beginning application and sent in my portfolio and then I got accepted. Wow. <laughs> so I went to visit Syracuse and, uh, when I was there, I found out, uh, it's since it's a private school, there's no like, uh, like state regulated, uh, curriculum. So you don't have to take math classes. And I was like, Oh, all right. College Wait. town, no <laughs> math classes. And it's still like, <laughs> has a pretty good art program. Uh, this is it. And uh, so I, I went to Syracuse and kind of kept going with my skating both ends of the uh, the spectrum as far as like being an artist and being kind of like bro-y kind of party guy. And, uh, and, you know, I was in a fraternity, but I also was an illustration major and kind of, you know, I always liked that balance. I think it's kind of like something that mm. carried me through most of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was an illustration major there which was like insane. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but, uh, I, I thought when I took those like illustration, they were going to be chill and be like, they were like, yeah, if you're an illustration major, you'll still learn graphic design. I, I couldn't get into any design classes. I'm sure it's changed now, but like I, I, maybe I didn't try hard enough. I might've been too busy concentrating on girls or whatever, <laughs> but, uh, I feel like I tried and I got rejected from a couple, but I did not learn nearly what I should have in graphic design point. So I graduated from in with an illustration degree. I knew like nothing about design, but I knew I wanted to be a graphic designer. Tell 20 year old me why you would ever 
pick that path. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but, uh, but I could draw decently and I was starting to learn Photoshop for illustration purposes. And, uh, I, I, I knew I wanted to move to the city. So I, I got with one of my buddies who's actually, uh, a big piece of like, I would say my creative journey, uh, my buddy Max Bohychik, he's, uh, if you ever do video, he was a, uh, amazing video director. Uh, him and he was in a duo with this, uh, our, my friend, uh, Alex Bergman. They were called BB Gun. They did a bunch of videos. Um, and they, cool. they will come back into the story a little later when we get to J. Cole, if we get there. We um, <laughs> and we, we, uh, he's from Columbus, Ohio and, uh, he, and I drove in a U-Haul out to the city. So I'm an illustrator. I know I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm living with five of my buddies, half of which are art, artsy kids, half of which are bro kids. And uh, it was pretty, pretty <laughs> on brand for me, I would say. In a, uh, you know, New York City apartment, uh, trying to be New York people while I am a full-on Midwest guy who does not get what's cool in the city and does not get how things work yet because I was a kid, um, and kind of felt like an outsider. Um, and I didn't though, it's weird. It's like I had a blind confidence for sure. Like I knew I was going to make it. I worked my butt off. That much I can always say for myself, but, uh, you know, I definitely was kind of like trying to figure it out in the big city. Mm. And the only job I could find was at a greeting card company, which. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, pretty wild. I, I, as I said, I think I have at least a unique story. I hope it's interesting. What a cool story. I've always wanted to know about American <laughs> greeting cards. What does it take? Do you have to come up with the catchphrases? Are the people that write them for you? <laughs> How does it work? Uh, so I, it was a small. Boutique greeting card agency. My mom did work for them at her graphic design agency and it was full on nepotism. They just like needed an assistant and I happened to come in at the right time to ask for just like a minimum wage job. And, uh, <laughs> I got a job as an assistant art director and that job was very ranged. So the way that it's set up pretty much like an ad agency, they have copywriters, they have art directors. Um, there was like one main art director who did most of the stuff. He was awesome. David, he taught me a ton of stuff, which was weird. So that was the thing. So this, this agency was all photo based. So mm. it was all photo based and it was all animals and little kids pretty much. <laughs> so they would Photoshop. So they, but they would do like these like animals in real life situations. So they would do like, uh, what, like we would, dress up like we would do find like a really great photo of like uh what are some of the good ones i don't know there was like a cat that they made into like a princess that's like a horrible example they did like really clever right, right, stuff right. like a lot of them are really cool um like a, like a monkey and, with but a like, birthday hat on eating cake or something right something like that yeah but they like they would be so annoyed if they heard me describing them like this like it's a lot it's more clever <laughs> than it sounds and it's actually pretty high end and like yeah yeah it's pretty cool or whatever i i feel bad like i'm not trash talking it but, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. It was definitely not my dream job. So I was, <laughs> but I was going on photo shoots all the time and, and I was like learning how photo shoots worked and, and watching how post worked as far as like sending stuff out to retouchers and having them put mm. these, you know, animals in different situations and shooting plates mm. of like, so my, my claim to fame, I was in three cards. I was a, uh, I was Frankenstein in one. Next to a pug that was, uh, that, or a French bulldog that had a Frankenstein head attached to it. 
I was uh, Santa Claus that had a pug pumping my leg, and uh, I was a gorilla that was a fortune teller. So that'll give you a little context on my size. (laughs) And uh, I do still have one of the pictures. I'll try and find and send it to you. It's pretty hilarious. Please do. I thought you were going to mention a pug in the third one as well, and I was like, that would be... Uh, No. The the pug was I was the gorilla gorilla fortune teller in the third one. But so for example, for that gorilla fortune teller thing, we needed like some stuff floating and a hat and whatever. And I actually would just set up these tiny little prop photo shoots in in their like conference room and just take some pictures and hopefully I mean I assume I guess I never heard any complaints. I think they actually made it into the cards. They just would you know, I would take the photos and then they would comp them in and we'd kind of shoot them at the right angles. And it just was like the beginning seeds of learning yeah, Photoshop and how to comp and, and all this stuff. And that, needless to say, though, it just got to a point where I was like, I thought I was cool. I was going out every night and I'm going in hungover every morning to this greeting card agency that I just thought was not, this was not my dream. So I was about <laughs> to hit my breaking point. And, and it was a great job, honestly. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't my dream. So I, I, what I did was I would stay up all night making fake album covers and, uh, and posters for tours and stuff on my computer. And I would go on, to, I was real into like indie music. I had like mm. grown up with my dad. He always like listened to classic rock. Kind of the next logical step for my rebellion, I would say was. You know, I would listen to like the Blitz in Ohio and listen to like yep. kind of like butt, butt rock for lack of a better phrase. Like I got real <laughs> into like grunge and like new, like bad alternative bands. And then I'll never forget it. My, my friend's older brother had an amazing collection of CDs that probably in retrospect wasn't that amazing, but in Ohio before the internet really hit off, it was stuff that I had never really been introduced to and. He, and he played me, either he played me or, or my friend had played me 36 chambers. And yes, it blew my mind. I mean, that changed my whole life. And that was my first experience of like, <laughs> I was like a, and it, it's crazy, but I was like, when I was 12, I was like a rap is crap guy. Like I really was that dude. And then I, I'd never give it a chance because that's what, you know, my dad kind of thought. And then I actually turned yeah. him around on rap later in his life, but, uh, we just didn't, I just didn't know. And, and I heard 36 Chambers and I got like crazy into it and I just became obsessed with hip hop. And that was like high school completely took over. I was like the kid who made mixtapes for everyone. Like literally <laughs> like I would just like burn CDs without people asking so then I could listen to my music in their cars or whatever. Um, and it was still like a weird, it was always like a weird com- combination though. Like I would like anytime I heard about an underground rapper, I would go crazy and like dive in and like, go nuts but then at the same time i was still like listening to like jaw rule like you know what i mean so they'd be these like weird not cool like i was listening to uh who's oh, i'm blanking on his name i was just listening to uh what's his name talk about rem chris billheimer i was like this dude's so cool he's 13 going to rem and his sister was like an indie rock guy and i was this only <laughs> child listening to like jaw rule and like bush like what? Like I just feel like I'm. That's why I just don't get it. Like I don't know how I pulled it off. Like to like get to work on all this stuff that I think is so cool. But anyways, that was a weird tangent, I guess. But uh, 
<laughs> but I, I was just so obsessed with hip hop, like completely yeah, yeah. obsessed with it. And, uh, and music in general, I got like into like other, like, you know, I was real into like vagrant records and emo stuff when I was in high mm. school, anything emotional. So it would either be like rappers yelling aggressively or like, or saves the day, you know, Yes, it's exactly. <laughs> totally. Saves the day, get up kids, all that. I love that. See, I, I, that's uh, my even style. Even like I Ben love. Folds. Like I love anything like emotional. Like that's just like, I, oh, very I, cool. I always have really eclectic. But, um. Yeah, see, so, I'm more, so, so, I'm anyways, more the get up kids. I'm more the get up kids, saves right. the day, still. Right. You gotta right, see right. the get up I mean, kids. <laughs> I just try and be like, oh, that's amazing. Matt Pryor's the shit. I, I, uh. <laughs> You know, I just try, but, and it's funny, I, like, always felt like I was a step behind. I remember getting into arguments in college, like, I would play music in art class, and someone, I remember this kid, like, freaked out on me and was like, the kind of kids are sellouts, this music is garbage, put on Modest Mouse, and I, like, got into a huge argument, because I was, like, super insecure, because I, I never really knew what was really cool. I, I never felt like I knew. And it's weird, and it took me, you know, so I, I just, like, I just knew I loved music. That's all I knew. Mm. And I feel like it took me so long to just be like, I just like anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like what I like, and it doesn't matter. And I'm like a grown man yeah. now. So if I want to listen to Carly Rae Jones. Jepsen, I'm going to listen to Carly Rae Jepsen, and that's what's going to be cool and whatever. So anyways, that crazy sidetrack. But uh I'm so intrigued <laughs> to hear how you edit this when I don't hear it because I'm too em- embarrassed in my own voice to listen to it. <laughs> I'm just going to leave uh, it because it's great. Okay. Well, I, so I was, needless, sorry, sorry, well, short story, very long. I was, I just grew up so obsessed with music. I would just come home at night, do what I had to do to stay up all night and like work. And if I wasn't partying, I was working. And when I was working, I was probably kind of partying to be quite honest, (laughs) but I built a whole portfolio of, of fake music industry stuff. And I did this poster, um, that was, it's a, it was, it's so corny now. It's so funny. All my old stuff I hate so much, but I guess at the time it wasn't that bad. I, it, it said legendary and it was all my favorite rappers at the time. It was from like senior, I did it like senior year of high school into graduate or senior year of college into graduating. And it was like Snoop and, uh, uh, and, uh, Eminem and Jay-Z and Nas and I had Kanye on there and it was right when college dropout dropped and people were like, you ruined this poster by voting Kanye. I'll never forget that. They were like, you have all these legendary artists and you have Kanye on here. Like he has, he has never proved anything. He's one guy. He's a producer. And I was like, this dude is special. He's going to be something different and it's going to be great. And I'm confident and putting him on this poster. Anyway, so I made this poster along with all these other fake projects. And I used to, that was what I was getting at. Sorry. I was, I used to reach out on MySpace to people. I would go on MySpace and find underground rappers that I liked. And, and message them hoping they would reply and say, yeah, sure. I love your work. You should do my album cover. It nearly never happened. And when it did, I failed miserably. None of the things ever came out. None of them were things that anyone ever wanted to use because they were crap. And I don't blame them. Uh, but it did give me an excuse to do stuff and it gave me assignments. And I kind of just mm-hmm. made these assignments for myself. And, uh, I, so I had this legendary poster though and I just, I, I spent a bunch of my money that I, and printed out a bunch of them and I just gave them to people. And one of my friends, his, uh, which I was friends with her as well, but one of my friend's girlfriends worked at Def Jam and I just oh, gave her a bunch of posters and was like, hand these out. 
And she was like, all right. I don't know why she did it. I, I mean, I, she just was cool as hell. I owe her forever. Yeah, yeah. What a cool friend. And, uh, I just, but I was just always putting myself out. Every time I went out, I, everyone I met I was like, what do you do? Like, oh, do you need graphic design work? Like, I'm just trying to learn <laughs> new things. And most people probably cool. thought I was insane. I don't even like realize and, you know, in retrospect, thinking about it, I was like such a weirdo. Like, that's sort of like, creepy like overly <laughs> aggressive thing to do to people but i just knew i needed out of what my situation and i was like just hustle and i guess it's good that i did that because so, yeah, so she yeah. got all these posters and gave them out to the art department and uh and you'll hear about him i'm sure a couple times in this interview but tavon sampson got one of them and uh he really liked the poster and but he had an and he there was an, a position opening up for a freelancer and he had an intern who he was going to give the job to and it was super urgent. They were crazy swamped and she just didn't show up for work like two or three days in a row. And so I'm working at the greeting card company and I get a call and I answer it and they're like, Hey, he's like, Hey, this is Tavon. I work at Def Jam. And I was like, what is happening? Like, it, I can't describe <laughs> to you what it's like when you're sitting there looking on the internet for cute, funny pictures of dogs. <laughs> and you get a call that's like, hey, this is this cool graphic designer who did, like, works on, like, fucking Fabulous and Young Jeezy and, like, all this awesome shit. And, like, yeah, he's yeah. calling me and telling me that they want me to come in. And it was just so surreal. And I'm just this, like, goofy Ohio kid. I mean, I was, I thought it was cool, but I was just this goofy Ohio kid who, like, didn't quite get it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, so do you want, he's like, I want you, we want you to come by. Like, we got your poster from Rachel and like, we really like it. And I was like, all right, well, I guess like, I was like, uh, yeah, when do you, can I come now? <laughs> so he was like, this is probably way too long, but whatever. He was like, uh, you know, so I went by there and I, so I'm going to Def Jam and I think it's an interview and I had to print out my book, put it all together, get it together to, to show to them. And, uh, and I'm like, I had never been on a real job interview besides this greeting card company. And I was like, what do people wear to, to interview suits. <laughs> so I put on my suit, bro, I put on a suit and I go into Def Jam awesome. with my portfolio <laughs> and like, like I probably looked like, I probably looked like I was going to my bar mitzvah for real. Like I was not, <laughs> I'm not a suit guy. I had my spiky douchey hair and I go in and I'm like trying to be professional and I, they look through my book and I'll never forget it. The, the uh, senior art director at the time, I won't name him because, oh, whatever. But uh, you could do the math. But um, <laughs> he was like, oh, I didn't know that this tour happened. Like, when was this tour? And I was like, oh, I just made that up. I made a fake tour called the – I, like, loved Def Jam so much. Like, this is how much it was my dream job. I love Def Jam so much, I made up a fake Def Jam tour and made a fake <laughs> tour poster for it and put it in my book. So, like, and it was like – it looked like I tailor-made my book, like, to get this job. It wasn't good. Nice. But like, they knew I lo- I wanted it. And I think Tavon yeah, saw yeah. the potential in me. He taught me a ton. But, uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I, I showed my book and they were like, oh, this is cool. Uh, and Tavon was like, all right, so yeah, so like, you ready to start like Monday? And I was like, I thought this was like an, an interview. And he was like, <laughs> no, man, it's a freelance job. We just, we saw your work and we like it. We're just hiring you to do freelance work. And I was like, so I wasn't even getting interviewed. And I like treated it like this was a formal crazy thing. I felt like such an idiot. And I was like, I just couldn't believe it was happening. He's like, let me show you around the building. So I'm walking around the building holding a metal briefcase with my portfolio in it. 
wearing a suit and Tamar's like <laughs> stops by where we walked through like, dude, it was so sick. We, it was like back, like to me, it was so cool. And to them, it was like already over. I feel like when it was like really cool, but like we're walking through like the, the rock, the Rockefeller section. Then we walked through like the rock La Familia, which was like a very briefly mm. big, like reggae tone Rockefeller era. Awesome. And then we walked by DTP and he's like, oh, yo, this is DTP. He was like, yo, this is Alex Haldi. He's going to start on Monday. And this dude goes, yo, look at this dude over here wearing a suit. <laughs> and just like <laughs> laughed in my face. And he didn't say dude. And it was like, I was like, this is a going to be a weird reality that I'm living in now. Like, it was so surreal. And like these hip hop dudes, like they were wearing like a purple velour jumpsuit, this dude who said it. And he just like laughed in my face because I was dressed like a 14 year old going to a bar mitzvah. Um, and that was like the beginning of the Def Jam thing. And it just life changed. Like, nice. it's weird to really think. I never really thought about it like that, but life really changed. Everything changed. It went from like, you know, I was still trying and building my way up, but like, it was just the break that I needed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always say like life is like a, a hallway of doors. Like I always picture yeah. like, you know, in like the movies where there's just like a million doors and like you just go up and try and open them and try and open them and try and open them. And I had been trying so long. I was like almost at my breaking point and the door opened and I was that like, so cool. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. And then so I was like this nerdy kid try hard who like just wanted to succeed working my way up as a junior designer. And that's kind of where the journey began, I guess. And, and that, from there, I perfect. go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was just awesome. Perfect. I know it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, and one of the best stories ever. I love the greeting card. I love the fact <sighs> that your friend Rachel just handed your made up poster around. <laughs> that's and crazy. Suddenly you get it dead. I mean, and that's what, uh, yeah, this- I mean, um, yeah, That's the craziest the part is that about. girl not showing up to work. <laughs> yeah, 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 that poor girl, but uh who cares about her? I know. Well, um, hey, those are the breaks. <laughs> that's right, that's right, but but literally that's what this series is about. It's about finding out, and a lot of the feedback I get off, off wannabe artists or artists coming up is, you know, I, I want to know how to get started, and this is like a work blueprint. Hard. Work, work hard. Work hard. ass and, off. And don't be scared to... Do something that's out of the box that you might think's a little bit corny, but it's what your passion is because someone else will appreciate it. And right. you hear it off everyone. You hear it off Chris Bilheimer, who literally, like you said, 13 years old, his big sister took him to REM, and what, six years later, he's literally in a Kika, in a Kinko's doing artwork for, with Michael Stipe because they crazy. sort of knew each other. Like, awesome. you yeah, know, that's crazy. That, that's how this works. And, if there's anyone out there, go get a greeting card job. Do whatever you need to do to get I mean, experience. I, I hate to be that dude who's like, I don't want to sound like a boomer or something, but like when people were saying like free internships and blah, 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 like complaining about that stuff, like, dude, I built a full portfolio every <laughs> night I was working on crappy <laughs> fake work, and but I was working. And like, I made it fun. I, I would have my boys over and we would hang out and, you know, whatever. And while I was working, but I, you know, and it wasn't good, but like, that's what I needed to do to get by. And like, it's never going to happen to you. You have to yeah. make it happen. And it sounds corny, exactly. but like, it really isn't. It, um, and, and it, and the, the thing that I've learned is that it doesn't matter how, and this is one of the things I've learned in life. It doesn't matter how bad your ideas are. 
as long as you've got ideas and you keep working at them, eventually you'll find your stride. And it's people. I mean, who, if you're anything like me, you're going to hate every idea you come up with two years later, no matter how good you get. <laughs> but <laughs> I've right, got like, like a couple of projects I still love, but I, yeah. I just always. Yeah, and it's hard. And it's what it's one of those things where you you you've got to keep putting yourself out there. And it's one of the things that I always say to people is if if you try and you fail and then you give up, what's the point in trying? Like you've right. got to you've got to try, fail, try, fail, try, fail. Try, succeed a little bit, and then fail. Try, fail, try, fail, try. And then suddenly, something you try works. And all those failures yeah, and all sure. those stupid ideas suddenly become important. And oh, it's man. one of the I things. Oh, man, and of all the, so many projects. I mean, and just even once I got my, like, I, you know, it's funny. Like, that was like, you were like, how did you get into it? Like, that was just the start. I mean, at Def Jam, I was doing, like, POP, excuse me, promo stuff. For like, you know, a full year and like loving, yeah. I would say late to work on like multi ads is what they used to call them. Yeah. That were like the crap ads where you just have to put a bunch of artist publicity images together. And I would make these like crazy ones that were so elaborate. And I was like, I looking back, I'm like, why didn't I just make a grid and like put them in and make them all black and white? But like, I was just trying to get better and like push myself. I don't even know if they were necessarily good because they were so weird, but like I did treat them like art and I made the most of them. And sometimes when I did that, I got yelled at because people were like, there's a brand style to this album. Like, don't make this your own. It's not about you. And it, that's a good lesson to learn too. But they could have maybe told me a little nicer, but you know, life goes on. But, uh, you know, I, I remember like just hearing that and like that, that was a lesson for me though. I didn't know. I was an illustration major. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about spacing type. I didn't know about like, consistency in singles. Like if you look at my first albums and stuff, like not, it's not all my fault. And I think some people have talked about making 12 inch singles. Like it's hard because half the time you're not hearing half the time. You've never even heard of the artist and you're not hearing mm. the music and you're just like mm. going by the name of the song to like try and make something. Yeah. But then even once I started doing albums, like a lot of times the singles just weren't cohesive because I just, I grew up on trashy hip hop design. I didn't know what was good. <laughs> I just like did stuff. And it took me until like, you know, maybe Woo Massacre to like really realize like, Oh, a nice cohesive branded campaign can be made for an album. It doesn't have to just be like rush to get the single done, make 50 different looks and we'll pick the one that we like best. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you're kind of set up to fail in that way in some ways in the music industry, I think. Like, at least yeah. it used to be. It's so different now. Back in the day. Yes. Right? And maybe just my era was unique. <laughs> but like, we were at the mercy of a lot of people and like, it was like, it was hard to like make something that was really like great and consistent. And that didn't come until I had enough confidence to really fight for it later in my career. And, and look, I think that that's really important that you go through those that you go through those phases and, and I sort of wanted to move. So thank you so much for that introduction and an amazing one. And then I thought a long one. (laughs) No, no, but it's perfect. The way that I normally do these, Alex, and and you've heard a few of them or a lot of them, you understand. I try and go sort of chronological by artist. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, when you first touch an artist and I'll talk about that artist and then move on to the next one, that's sort of how, how in my mind I like to do it. Um, and, Looking at discogs.com, which is my favorite one, although now you've introduced me to all music, that might be my favorite. It's got, it's got more content. Um, um, 
the yeah, first I one think that, I have better coverage and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the first one that I that I could see was LL Cool J's Exit Thirteen. Is that is that about where you started? Actually, Freeway was my first one technically. But Freeway was your LL first cool one. J, Freeway was like my first project that Tavon was too busy. I, I was basically, Tavon was like my mentor essentially. I don't know if mm. he's comfortable with me saying that, but he, I really came <laughs> up under Tavon Sampson and he taught me everything and I did not know what I was doing at all. I was an illustration major. I knew nothing about design and I just like always made it a point to like work on in the programs that I was worst at. So I was really good at Photoshop. <laughs> well, all right. Let me rewind that. I was most good at Photoshop. I was not good at it, but like I got, <laughs> I understood that most. And I was horrible at Illustrator because I didn't understand vector. I didn't, I don't like math and it felt like math to me. So I would just oh, like I, I, force I myself <laughs> to learn, uh, Illustrator. So, and I would like force everything I did. I would like anything I could do in Illustrator, I tried to do in Illustrator. So I'd get better at it. And now I'm actually pretty mm. good at it because I pushed my thumb. Mm. But he like taught me how to do logos and taught me like little tricks and like I came to him with so many questions and like the only thing him and Patrick Haggerty, who you should interview, um, he was there and he taught me a ton. I mean, even like Todd, Todd like started a couple years before me, even though he's younger than me. So he knew some knew a little bit more of the design game. I, I feel like he just was a, knew more about design than me anyways, because I was an illustrator. There was a button in this dude, Scott Danskin. He worked there for a little bit. He taught me a bunch of stuff, especially about Illustrator. He's a super talented designer. But uh I would just ask them questions, and, like, my whole thing was always, like, if I'm going to ask someone a question, I'm writing down the answer, I'm only going to ask them once. And if I had to ask them the same question twice, I would, like, torture myself over it. And I'm sure you can tell by this <laughs> interview, I am very neurotic. So uh, that was, like, the only way I could sleep at night was that I, like, if I needed to learn something, like learn it and get better each time. So uh, Tavon taught me so much. So he let me, I, w- I was so excited to work on an album package and then Tavon gave me the opportunity to do it. And I was like, mm. what? Like, I was like, what cool. am, why did I ask for this? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he, you know, I figured it out, but like, he really helped me. My first comps were like a nightmare. They looked like a mixtape or something. And, uh, but he did the photo shoot, so I didn't have like a ton to do with that, but I did redesign the freeway logo and made it all custom with all that crazy distress and yes, it's all custom with bad spacing and whatever, but you know, you live and you learn. That was like, that was, that was really like the first one though. And then the, the next one was like, I was just overly <laughs> excited, super young, ambitious dude, and they, Granted me with an amazing opportunity to work with LL Cool J. And it was a dream come true. And honestly, I couldn't have been more excited about it. And uh, I, it blew my mind. And it was the first one I got to really work on where I was kind of in charge. Like there wasn't like a lot of people overseeing me. Um, you know, there was the creative, you know, creative directors and art directors, but they were kind of, it was more, that was more for approval. And like, I kind of got to like try and come up with the concepts for all this stuff. I was going to say, how, how did you come up with, with the concept? Cause anyone who doesn't know Exit 13, it's sort of this, and I'm going to explain it wrong, Alex, and feel free to, to, to correct no, me. It's so but, weird. Uh, it's the weirdest thing. But it's like a dystopian freeway. So dystopian Scenery, you know, like sort of deserty, you know, po- you know, post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, can't even pronounce it. And then it's got so this freeway with a sign, you know, that the, the exit 
LL Cool J Exit 13, and then it's got a gigantic microphone that has crashed through the freeway. Um, yes. So I'm hoping I'm I'm giving that justice in its, but it looks amazing. And you're you're leaving out one aspect about the microphone, with, it, which it's is a pretty phallic microphone. Yes, it is a very phallic <laughs> microphone. Which you know that's I guess that started early for me. I, you know, and I'm not. Gonna, I wish I could lie to you and say I did it on purpose, and I didn't. But it does make it. It's one of those albums that I wouldn't. I don't have in my book right now. Like I'm not like crazy like proud of it but for a first real owned album it's it's, it's awesome. pretty ridiculous. i mean it's very weird and iconic and strange well so the funniest thing the funniest thing about it is on all music there's a review of the album and i don't know if you've read oh it and the, re- the reviewer yeah. begins with this wrapped in what is possibly the most prog rock sleeve design in hip-hop history that's how uh, that's how the album really starts i'm like that's and sick. I was like, that's, that's awesome because in 2019, right now, that album cover would seem normal. It would just right. seem like an, an album cover. But back in 2008, 11 years ago, or, or I guess 2007, probably when you were working on it. Dude, not putting was... LL Cool J on the cover? That yeah. was crazy. I mean, he might, I think he did have covers before that didn't have him on the cover, but at that point in his career, the last one on Def Jam, like, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty bold. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's have great. a giant microphone dick on the cover. You can cut that out. And, too, if you <laughs> and, and, and did you get any feedback from, from LL once you did it? Oh, he was the man. He is the coolest dude. I love that dude forever. For real. Uh, he loved it. He loved it. So the way it, I, I'm trying to find it online, you can't really see, but, uh, the, the concept was it was a barrel roll, uh, a barrel fold, uh, insert. So you mm. would unwrap it and the end of the cord would keep going and it would go along the highway and he was pulling it at the end. Oh, so like nice. it's him pulling, I'll find it and send it to you, but uh, if you care, but, uh, I do uh, care. he was pulling this giant microphone. So that was the whole concept. And in my head, <laughs> I think I was like, in my head, it was definitely different than how it ended up. I was like, Dude, it's your exit 13. You're coming. You're the king of hip hop. You started Def Jam. You're leaving Def Jam. Like, this is going to be like the most monumental, crazy thing. It's going to be you pulling this gigantic microphone past all these like monolithic, uh, like pieces of your history. So we'll do like, you know, I, I'd come up with like all these like, like real specific things, like a giant mm. panther, because you, you did like the Black Panther album and the yes. like a huge oversized boombox, and like we'll have it all <laughs> like these like in my brain it was so sick, and it was before 3D was really even like a thing, so it was like really uh I don't know, I, it was really pushing stuff, and and uh, Joseph Colte yeah, shot it, who was like one of my favorite photographers, especially I, he's just his stuff is so cool, it's so unique and. He's done so much awesome stuff. I feel like he's kind of slept on because he like was doing digital, taking, pushing digital boundaries before like people really did. So some of it in retrospect looks like a little, uh, it's not as tight as things you can do with stuff now, but, uh, mm. but it was sick. I mean, we got like a real matte painter and we did all the retouching and I don't know why they could give me this huge budget because I mean, it was LL and, uh, it ended up really crazy. I mean, for a first project that I really owned, it was like, Really crazy, and I, I kind of think blame that on like dumb, blind arrogance. Like I didn't really know how 
crazy it was to be doing it. Now I look back and I'm like, how did I have the confidence to just be like, oh, I think, do I think it, it's amazing. But, uh, and I think when you can get a it reviewer. It did definitely get a little crazier. So like that was the concept, sorry. And then as LL and his team started chiming in, it got like weirder and weirder. So like <laughs> they, they wanted us to make this like man goat because he's like the goat. And they wanted this like jacked muscular man goat on a billboard. So there's that's in there, which is like very bizarre. <laughs> and he wanted a weight bench because he's like real into weightlifting. So that's in there. And then like, you know, it went from these like cool, like a big statue of a panther to like a weight bench. Like what, what is this? It's like it, which made it kind of <laughs> even more surreal and like bizarre. Like I, so, and then they were like, yeah, well, then we want a city at the end of it. So it's not like he's, like, yes. really leaving. He's, like, walking towards this, like, basically, like, Oz. And I was like, cool, we'll yes. do this, like, cool futuristic city. And they're like, and we want all, every single, like, statue and iconic building yeah. from every city in the world. And it's, like, just, like, too much. Like, it was just, like, full on, like, giving a 21-year-old kid or 22-year-old kid-ish, maybe 23. Like this, like a freedom to do whatever they wanted, <laughs> like just like it's so much cool. stuff. Who wasn't brave enough to say no to anything? We put his uh, mother in the clouds above it. Like it's just it was fun. <laughs> but uh, but it was you know it was crazy. That was a cool one. And and dude, LL Cool J. Let me just say, go on the record. He anyone who talks shit on LL Cool J, like fuck you. He's the coolest dude. He's so nice. He was like always super cool to me. I was like this kid. And he completely respected me and like gave me the chance That's to do great. this stuff and listen to my ideas. And he, dude, we're on the photo shoot and he's just like shredded, like so ripped, like at the time, <laughs> you know, just like insane. And he's like fully in album mode, like rapping all this stuff, like looks like jacked and shirtless. And this girl comes up and he's like, he calls her, I think her name was Brandy or something. He's like, Oh, Brandy, how are you doing? I remember you. And she was like, what? And she was like, yeah, I was at the shoot for like, I think it was like, uh, like bad or something. Like one of those like old, uh, LL Cool J wow. songs. And he, she, he remembered her from the set. He has a photographic memory. He just, wow. I was like, did that, I went to his manager. I was like, this, that just happened. And she was like, oh yeah, he remembers everyone. He, he knows everyone. He, he, he has a photographic memory. I was like, that is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. I for, I'm That's like a cool. nobody and I forget everyone's names. He just like was so nice and such a good dude. Sorry. I just needed to go there because I feel like it's so easy yeah. with like his confidence to like kind of get lost and like maybe he's like not this dude, but he is such a star and like such a cool dude. He's so nice. Um, but yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I think it's so cool that, that you've got that, you know, that you got that experience with him. And I think, I still think the album cover's awesome. I think for someone so Thanks, young man. as well. And like, you, and, and like you said, just throwing ideas out and then listening to his ideas, putting it together. And like I said, if you can have someone write that it's the most prog rock um, record sleeve into hip hop history, you've achieved your purpose. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that, I'm not gonna lie, that, like, that gets me stoked. That's good. Alright, wasn't that the most insane story of getting from being under your mum's desk to working as a greeting card designer to working at Def Jam? And then being in charge of the final LL Cool J album on Def Jam. Thank you so much Alex for sharing your incredible journey with me and for all of us. 
and it's a message for all designers out there. Whatever path you need to take, take it. Do the work and follow your dreams. Okay, so much more to come on the next episode of Undercovers with Alex Howdy. We delve into Rihanna, Big Boy, J. Cole, Naz, Bon Jovi, and so much more. Vibe. Machine.